here we go. Friday, people. Welcome, everybody. Today is Friday, March 10th. Welcome to the party. Welcome to episode number 320 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes of this wonderful Friday, me, Alana Boyajian, Tom Bishop, William Welch, Andrew Nakamura, Jenny Housley, Kenneth Ruff, and so many more of the Simply Cyber community are going to be shredding the top cyber news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my thoughts, opinion, and analysis, and many of you will be too in chat, on what these stories mean to you as practitioners, how we can operationalize it at work, <clears throat> and spoiler, if you're looking to break in the industry, don't feel overwhelmed, don't feel that this isn't for you, because it absolutely is for you. You'll be getting exposed to terminology, concepts, threat actors, <clears throat> macro concepts, big picture industry stuff, micro concepts, very tactical transactional things. You will be asked <clears throat> in any interview, what are you doing to stay current? This is a great answer. Not only is it a great answer, so you check the box, but also I'm telling you, you're going to get better. You're going to know more. You're going to understand. You're going to be networking all around cybersecurity. So stay with us. We got a great show for you today. But before we dig into the great show, I want to say shout out, love, mad respect, props. Check out stream sponsors, starting with my good friend Eric Taylor over at Barricade Cyber Solutions. <clears throat> Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for for uh, businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. <clears throat> but Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incident. Excuse me. Knows how to uh, uh, mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below. This is the website. Guys. I know most of you are only going to call Barricade Cyber when your business is actually under attack, but I'm telling you, there's so much value to be gained if you do it in advance. What's up, Dryan? What? Did we just become best friends? Yes. Oh my God! Excuse me, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Um, hold that thought for a second. Yes, yes, Dryan with the job. Boom, baby, boom! Look at us just knocking down doors. Way to go, way to go. Welcome to the cybersecurity community, my friend. Way to go. All right, now, go check out Barricade Cyber. You can meet with Eric Taylor, hop on his calendar. Today, 10.30 a.m., you could be up in his business talking about how you can get protected, um, how you can resolve, like recover from a cyber incident, how do you even talk to threat actors, do you have a Bitcoin wallet, did you see what happened in Minneapolis to the school system up there, okay? You really want to have a plan. Barricade Cyber can help you. Now, if you're forward thinking and you're strategic picture and you're trying to think, okay, what are we going to do for 2023? May I introduce you to Panopsi, Brandon Poole's company. Brandon Poole, great friend of the channel and um, great cybersecurity practitioner out of the great state of South Carolina. Panopsi's quantified risk assessment methodology can come in, assess the situation of your current security posture, give you statistically sound and quantifiable evidence on where you need to focus your energy, your effort, your money, your time, your people, 
to increase your cyber risk reduction. Again, I know I just said a bunch of words. The point is, you can just go in and be like, Bleh! I mean, obviously enable MFA, right? Right here, like that's gonna happen no matter what. But like, do you do you go with an MDR? Or do you do an in-house SIM? Do you, do you use EDR? Is Do you use a next-gen firewall with like an SD-WAN solution? Or do you do an in-house rack and stack firewall? I don't know, you tell me. Are you duplicating efforts? Are you adding controls that don't add any value because all you really need to do is configure what you already own? These questions, quantified risk assessment methodologies can help you answer. CISOs really should pay attention mostly to this because it, it helps inform you on the direction of um, strategic investment. All right, now, thank you to the sponsors. I want to remind you to go check out IT Pro TV. I, I mentioned them more on Thursdays, but I mean, on, on Wednesdays for Worldwide Wednesday, but I do love them. And I want to point out, if you use the code SimplyCyber30, you get 30% off. But if you're a veteran, according to Carrie, and I believe this, you get 60% off, which is insane. Don't even use my code if you're a veteran. Use the veteran code, get 60% off. Oh, like, guys, IT Pro TV is really designed. It's not for your casual infosec consumer. If you're literally trying to learn something, if you're trying to study for an exam, if you're if you're trying to like get a job and you need a certain skill set, this is like a, a, a basically a shortcut, right? It's like a, it's like a quick hit where you can get this information in a nice consolidated, curated fashion and giddy up on it. So holla, holla, holla to IT Pro TV. Now remember, every episode of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Brief, and according to my uh, interpretation of ISACA and ISC squared CPE policies is worth half a CPE per episode. Be sure to say what's up in chat on replay. If you are live with us, 89 people. What is this? 92, 92 people. Guys, I went to UMass. I, I was reading about the Borg. Okay. If you don't know what that is, Google UMass Borg. It's like a problem right now over there at UMass. So, but Thursday is the start of the college weekend. Uh, at least it was at UMass. So, 89 people straggling in here. Let me know. Did you guys have a long night last night? Go out for happy hour? Woo! Come on, it's 8 a.m. We got to get up. We got to work. If you're Team Replay, because you, you, you're kind of straggling, I got you. Hashtag Team Replay in the comments. Leave a comment uh, beyond just Team Replay. I do love engaging with the comments there. Sometimes it's analysis. Sometimes it's favorite story. Sometimes it's just a fun a fun little uh, message uh that you know is for the community and me and I, I see it and I love it. If you're hashtag team hybrid, let us know. You'll be in the past, uh, catching up to us in the future. So or you'll be in the future catching up to us in the past. So do a hashtag team replay. And then my favorite, I love where this initiative's going. It is spring break, brother. You're right. Um, if you are um, my favorite, hashtag passive observer. And uh, that's basically if you're a lurker, if you're a lurker in the background and you're not sure how to step into the light, you're not sure how to network, you, you think maybe, you know, you're intimidated, you don't feel you like, maybe you don't feel like you have something to offer, something to give, bump that, hashtag passive observer. If you see someone in chat say passive observer, please say hello to them. Welcome them to the community. I want to give a special shout out before we get into the news to one, to one special viewer. Hashtag passive observer. Mrs. Osier, my wife, just informed me last night that she's hashtag passive observer. She just like dropped that on me while we were sitting on the couch kind of chilling out. <laughs> she's like, I'm hashtag passive observer. I'm like, babe, come on. So holla, holla, holla to my beautiful bride, my lovely wife. I love you, babe. All right, let's get into the news. Sit back, relax, chill out, and let the awesome 
waves of the top cybersecurity news wash over you in an awesome deluge. Let's go. I'll see you guys at the mid-roll. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Friday, March 10th, 2023. Biden's budget seeks increase in cybersecurity spending. President Biden's budget proposal for fiscal year 2023 calls for wide-ranging investments to boost the cybersecurity resilience of the U.S. government and to implement his recently released cyber strategy, which calls for a whole-of-government approach to boosting U.S. digital defenses. CISA would get a total of $3.1 billion, an increase of $145 (laughs) million compared to last year. This includes $98 million to implement the Cyber Incident Reporting for Critical Infrastructure Act and $425 million to improve internal cybersecurity and analytical capabilities. With Republicans in control of the House of Representatives, Biden's budget has no chance of being passed into law. Instead, the proposal released Thursday represents a signaling document ahead of what is likely to be a bitter negotiation between Republicans and Democrats over government spending levels. Oh, my God. Okay, so. uh, All right, guys, couple things. One. Three point one billion dollars to CISA. And I get that sounds like a large number to an individual. But when you start spreading it out, it's like it's like if anybody here has ever made a peanut butter sandwich, which I'm sure most of us have. Like, you know, like you start with a big glob of peanut butter and it's really thick at the beginning. But as you spread it, it starts getting a little thin and then you have little gaps at the uh, other side of the piece of bread. So three point one billion dollars sounds like a lot of money, Um, but it it may not go too far. I I really feel like it would do a lot of good. Jen Easterly, I I, hey, in Jen Easterly, I trust I'm all aboard like like, you know, whoop, whoop. I'm on the Jen Easterly sister train. So I feel like she would be a good steward of that money. What is sad that they point out in the podcast here is that the Republicans, Biden is a Democrat, if you're not aware of this, uh, the Republicans control the House. Um, because of the way the government is set up in the United States, there's checks and balances. So everybody's got to be kind of on the same page for something like this. <clears throat> so when they said there's going to be bitter negotiations, what that essentially means is Biden can suggest anything he wants. Uh, but he has to get support from um, Cong- uh, the Senate, which it sounds like it's not going to happen. Um, I'm not going to. This show is not political. I've said that a million times. I'm not going to get into it. Um, there is a lot of uh, consternation between the amount of money that uh, the Biden administration has uh, spent or put into the into the into the country. Uh, and Republicans are typically more conservative financially. That's the reason why there's going to be this conflict. At the end of the day, I, I got to tell you. This there's a couple big picture things. One, um, I love that this White House cybersecurity strategy, and I said it yesterday. It's like a rocket being shot out of a, a a cannon, right? Like, not that you would need to shoot a rocket out of a cannon, because a rocket usually is self-propelled. But just imagine that's how fast it's going. It's like it's like a racehorse that's all jacked up on Mountain Dew, just like in the gate, just j- jawing around, and then like the the gate opens up and the horse just blam. That's what's going on right now. The White House releases this cybersecurity long-term strategy, this five-pillar strategy, and then it's just like, you know, like money, uh, regulation. You're going to do this. We're securing all the things, critical infrastructure, water. Like, get get out of my way. We're doing this, right? So, like, this is just another thing of, like, really focusing in on uh, cybersecurity. Now, I will say that I appreciate uh, better late than never. We have been spending money. We have been... You know, FISMA came out in like 90 or 2006 
uh, the Federal Information Security Management Act, right? So it's not like we haven't been doing anything. Obama released, uh, um, Jesus, uh, the executive order like 16363 or something or 16636. Anyways, it was the critical infrastructure. He defined the, you know, 18 domains of critical infrastructure or whatever it is and how they need to be secured. So we've been marching towards this. This isn't like revolutionary what's going on here. But I do feel like Biden's administration has taken it to another level with all of this. Um, better late than never, guys. Hopefully, I feel like this is in direct relation to watching an increase in activity, watching Russia and Ukraine conflict and seeing cyber capabilities used in a military capacity. We've known about this for years, but guys, like we as a United States, and I say we, I know the, the community here is international, but like the United States, there's a lot of very brittle, very legacy-led um, critical infrastructure, legacy technology, critical infrastructure that is at great risk, okay? Great, great risk. Um, so, you know, I love where this is going. I really, the final thing I'll say is I hope that all of this um, back and forth and negotiation and bitter arguments around what the number should be. I hope it doesn't impede any progress, okay? Like, it doesn't do us any good if nothing happens, okay? So good luck to Jen Easterly. Uh, Jen, if you're watching, hashtag Passive Observer, feel free to come on the show. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll move everything off my schedule uh, to have you on the show. All right, thanks. Let's move on. AT&T alerts 9 million customers of data breach after vendor hack. Exposed in the breach was customer proprietary network information from some wireless accounts, such as the number of lines on an account or wireless rate plan. This according to AT&T speaking with Bleeping Computer. The information did not contain credit card information, social security numbers, account passwords, or other sensitive personal information, said AT&T. And it added that its systems were not compromised in the vendor security incident and that the exposed data is mostly associated with device upgrade eligibility. Get All right. Uh, a, a, a more unusual use of these uh, law enforcement sound effect. Get your chief Wiggums up if you got them. Uh, law enforcement was notified. AT&T got popped. Third party risk management, a marketing company that they use. No surprise whether, I mean, it's no surprise they use a marketing company. They probably use all sorts of third parties. When you're the size of AT&T, you definitely use vendors all over the place. Vendor got hit. You know, all I can say is um, I'm going to, I'm going to shine a, um, I'm going to shine a positive light on this. Okay. A positive light on this. The marketing company got breached and 9 million wireless accounts were compromised. Now it says data was customer name, first name, wireless number, and email address. Okay. I'm not saying it's not sensitive. Okay. Cause you can still have phishing attacks from that information, but I want to give AT&T a thumbs up, or at least this marketing company, a thumbs up. I don't know who drove this decision, but a lot of times when you see information sharing between two businesses for a business to business relationship, It'll be like, oh, just give us all the information and we'll we'll pair out what we need. So the fact that they only had the information that they needed, so least use, minimum use, um, I applaud that, okay? Like, good job. It, you know why you do things like that? Because it limits the impact of a breach. I There's probably some InfoSec hardworking lady 
at AT&T who fought an uphill battle to make the data use agreement only include those pieces of data, right? And she probably, the parent like, all right, tinfoil hat, Linda. Like, we'll just give them the first name. Jesus, Linda, right? And then, boom, Linda's dropping mics today. Whenever you do, here's the, here's the takeaway for you as a professional, okay? When you enter data use agreements, which happens all the time, when you send data to third parties, when you're doing research, like whatever it is, whenever you're sharing any, even, hell, even when you're sharing data internally with different organizations, maybe you have like a research group, maybe whatever, only share the data that they need. Ask them, what kind of data do you need? What do you need? Explain to me what you need. I don't need you to justify it to me, right? But but tell me what you need because I only want you to have what you need because we're going to limit impact in the event something bad happens, okay? I get it, Carl. You're wicked secure and you think I'm completely overkill. But guess what? If you don't need the social security numbers, why are you asking for them? You feel me? Like, meet me halfway. I'm trying to do my, like, listen, guy, at the end of the day, you're trying to do your job. I'm trying to do my job. My job is to protect this data. If you don't need the socials, like, let's not give you the socials, okay? Like, you're still going to be able to accomplish your goals and go home and kiss your kids goodnight. And I'm going to be able to sleep easy knowing that I don't have a bunch of my sensitive information all up in your hands. You feel me, Carl? All right. So that that's the one shining light of this story. Way to go, AT&T. I mean, obviously, it sucks for AT&T. They might lose some customers over this, but, you know, whatever. Hub makes 2FA mandatory next week for active developers. Woo! MFA. This gradual 2FA rollout will start next week with GitHub reaching out to smaller groups of administrators and developers via email and will speed up as the end of the year approaches to ensure that onboarding is seamless and that users have time to sort out any issues. Once expanded to the company's entire user base, the 2FA enrollment requirement will help secure the accounts of more than 100 million users. Good. Good, 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 good. Uh, again, I'm wearing this shirt today. I have no idea what the stories are going to be until I see them with you. Um, but I mean, whatever. Like, no surprise there'd be a 2FA story. Enable MFA. You know what it should, the shirt should say? MFA enabled by default, okay? Or not allowed to use without MFA. Okay. GetUp makes 2FA mandatory. Guys, we just saw um, we just saw the other day, LastPass, the, the story came out. Now, they weren't using GitHub, but LastPass, the story came out that one of the, like, the four most critical developers at LastPass got a keylogger on his machine, got his cred stolen, threat actor logged in to uh, the production database, and you know we all know the LastPass story, okay? GitHub's making 2FA mandatory. Good, 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 good. Open source software, open source, uh, you know, software security supply chain, right? We are seeing story after story after story of threat actors um, manipulate, like getting in. Uh, well, actually, that I guess 2FA wouldn't fix this. We're, I was going to say we're seeing stories of threat actors um, forking uh, software, putting their own malicious stuff in there, all these things. 2FA is not going to stop that, but it's going to stop um, threat actors from tricking developers into giving up their creds and then the threat actor gets in as the developer and then maybe steals secrets, maybe does what they did in the SolarWinds incident. Hello? SolarWinds wasn't that long ago, guys, where uh, threat, allegedly Russian threat actors, I don't know if it's been attributed to Russia yet, but most people think it is, got into a SolarWinds developer account and literally wrote real code in SolarWinds so it could hide in plain sight and then wrote a, um, a backdoor 
capability and you know go google solar winds if you don't know what that ha what that was literally solar winds might be the biggest cybersecurity hack with impact of all time i do want to say what's up really quick to jeremy williams good morning i hope you're all doing well he's been mia dealing with lyme disease holy crap what did we just become best friends yep jeremy williams good to see you on the on the on the men my friend hopefully it wasn't too bad welcome back um you're always welcome here at the Simply Cyber community. Let's keep rolling. Their attack against Barcelona Hospital disrupts operations. The attack targeted Hospital Clinique de Barcelona, one of the city's leading hospitals, shutting down its computer system and forcing the cancellation of 150 non-urgent operations and up to 3,000 patient checkups. The attack was attributed to the threat actors known as Ransom House and originated outside of Spain. Avishai Avivi, who is CISO of security company SafeBreach, noted that the attack spread laterally through the hospital, shutting down laboratories, emergency rooms, pharmacies, and several external clinics. He suggests that the hospital's networks were not properly segmented and segregated from each other. He also challenged the attribution of the attack, clarifying that Ransom House typically does not encrypt data but instead focuses on data exfiltration. This indicates that shutting down the computers was done to prevent further data exfiltration and further suggests, he says, that the hospital does not have good egress security controls to prevent data leakage. Mm. This, he said, is a conjecture further supported by the fact that the hospital has indicated it will not pay the ransom, leading Avivi to believe that it still has access to the data. All right. So, first of all, the, I, the, hopefully this doesn't disrupt the Catalina wine mixer. Am I right? Am I right? Did we just become best friends? Yep. I'm being playfully humorous, but this is no joking matter, okay? A hospital got hit with ransomware. Um, whether it was Ransom House, Vice Society, Lapsus, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, like when you're getting into the details of attribution and, and you know, uh, I hate to say this, but like integrity of the threat actor delivering the keys on payment, all these other things, that's when it really matters. But the important part is, unfortunately... Um, this, this, um, group was able to remotely access and spread laterally and shut down labs, emergency room, pharmacies, clinics. This isn't good guys. Emergency room. Like we're talking real patient safety impact here. Can you only, ima I can I can only imagine like you're involved in like a terrible car accident and like they take you emergency to the Jeremy Williams knows like if you go to the hospital, right? And they're like, sorry, we, we can't take you. Like, there's real, like, you could be bleeding out. Uh, paramedics do the best they can, but they don't have access to all of the medicines, all of the, um, you know, capabilities to stabilize you. You know, what if you're suffering a freaking stroke, right? Time is very important when it comes to stroke um, intervention, okay? So if you have to go to another hospital 45 minutes away, it could be a problem. It could be a real problem. We saw like three, four years ago, an example of a, a, a paramedic, um, an individual in an ambulance having to be rerouted to another hospital and that individual died in route. Okay. So like real death. Okay. Real consequences. Not to, not to be a Debbie Downer on uh, a Friday, but like there are real consequences. Now, what doesn't help is, and with all due respect, the CISO here, um, kicking this company while they're on the ground about like, oh, they obviously didn't have network segmentation and they didn't have egress monitoring, all these other things. Like, yeah, of course they didn't. Um, hospitals are very complicated networks. Clinical care staff, if you've worked in the medical industry or healthcare, 
uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And this is no disrespect, no disrespect, but clinical care people, especially physicians, um, they don't, they want, they're already super, super busy with work and they don't want to be like bothered for lack of a better term with your cybersecurity. So a lot of times they'll kind of move you to the side. I've seen, I've seen instances where physicians give nurse staff their credentials. So the nurse staff can log in and record things on the patient medical record instead of the physician doing it for time. I've seen physicians bring stuff home. I've seen remote, you know, FaceTime and all these other things. Like I'm not surprised by the way. Network segmentation, they, like his first thing was like, oh, they spread lotteries, so they didn't have good network segmentation. All right, I'm going to be real for a second. Dude, network segmentation isn't a switch you turn on. You don't stroke a check for $25,000 and like you've got network segmentation. It's a major implementation, okay? It's like I've been part of a network segmentation implementation in a hospital. It's a big deal. You've got to do a lot of strategic planning. What are the different VLANs? How do they talk to each other? What is the uh, the direction of the traffic? What's allowed? Is it bi-directional, unidirectional? Who can talk to what? Like you've got to do all that mapping first. Then you have to put in all of the firewalls essentially everywhere. Make sure they're configured. Have a process in place because you're going to get requests for exceptions all over the place, including like, oh, I can't access my thingamajig anymore. This sucks. Open it up right? You got to be able to fight those battles on top of it. You've got to get business buy-in before you even configure anything. Network segmentation is not trivial, okay? There's a technology piece, there's a process piece, and then there's like a political capital piece, okay? So I'm not going to ding uh, this Barcelona Catalina wine mixer hospital on not having network segmentation, although they should have. I will, <laughs> I will say that. Really quick before we get to the mid-roll to harken back to the Biden's budget, uh, I've been I've been fact checked here, and you know I like to be um, I like to be uh, as 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 real and as true as possible. I made a small mistake. Um, the House holds the money um, for this proposal, not the Senate. I had misspoken there, so it's the House of Representatives, not the Senate. Uh, also, uh, BSEC had mentioned, you know, this is equivalent to. Uh, going with a huge budget to the CFO, expecting it to get knocked down, but then you set an anchoring point. So if you ask for $3.1 billion and they say no, and they come back with $2 billion, well, that's fantastic, right? Because in reality, you only wanted $1 billion, but you anchored at three. This gets into pricing and professional services and business and market economics and all this other crap. But just know um, that those things are facts. So... Um, thank you, BSEC, for keeping me um, accurate. It's important for everybody. All right, guess what? It's the mid-roll, I think. Yes. And now, a word from our sponsor, Packet Labs. Trust the ethical hackers at Packet Labs for expert penetration testing services. Our certified professionals specialize in strengthening your security posture. Download our free penetration testing buyer's guide at CISO.packetlabs.net and get the top 20 questions to ask third-party vendors before hiring them. Let us guide you through the process and help you find the perfect match for your organization's security needs. That's CISO.packetlabs.net. All right. It's the mid-roll. If you're new here, we have a good time on the mid-roll. If you're a regular, get your hey, 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 hey's ready. Hey, 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 hey! All right, hey everybody! Thanks for being here. 
Appreciate it if you've been getting value out of the stream so far this morning. Entertainment, educational, networking. If you're just a regular, hit that like button. Genuinely appreciate it. I don't want it for the stats for me. What I want it for is if you hit like and enough people hit like, then uh, YouTube is going to be like, oh, a bunch of people who search for cybersecurity stuff regularly are all liking this stream right now. Let me go find other people who are liking cybersecurity content and tell them about this live stream. This is how we grow the Simply Cyber community and how we can help more people at scale. Thank you, Barricade Cyber Solutions and Panopsi for your continued stream sponsor support. Um, I do really, really um, love those guys. Eric Taylor, Brandon Poole, great, great community members. I'm very happy to be affiliated with them. Guys, it's Friday. You still have time to sign up for the Simply Cyber newsletter. I'm going to write it on Saturday, which means you got to get in on it now or you'll miss it. Um, I write an email with three pieces of actionable intel that you can operationalize. It'll be in your inbox Monday at 6 a.m. Holla! I've also got some other th fun stuff I've been talking to Joel Belton about. Might be introducing uh, a midweek uh, email that delivers a different kind of value, but all up in your face because of the really overwhelmingly positive response I've gotten from this, from this piece of, um, uh, I guess, knowledge. Um, I, I'm looking to double down and give you guys even more value, okay? Like, I love the value train. Hop on. Doot, doot. All right, Simply Cyber Community Challenge, and then we've got Grayson's joke of the day. Hey, the Simply Cyber Community Challenge is a network growth challenge that we started, Chuck Sapp and I, and this thing has been going gangbusters. I genuinely love it. Brady McNulty was tagged yesterday. He went on to LinkedIn and posted what he loves about cybersecurity, his story. And it was fascinating. It was inspiring. Thank you, Brady. Now it's Brady's turn to tag someone in chat. Hopefully we don't break the chain. Brady, let me know. Now, if you're on Team Replay, you get to play too. Go to the Simply Cyber Discord server, exclamation Discord, in chat if you want to get, um, get that. William Welch. All right, Brady, thank you for making the sacrifice. I know you're a left coast player. Um, thank you so much. Enjoy your sleep. Well rested. William Welch, go online. Drop your knowledge. Let us know. Hit hashtag Simply Cyber Community Challenge in chat. I mean, in the, um, in the post, William, and we'll all connect with you. By the way, this isn't just for Brady and William. Go on to LinkedIn. Find the Simply Cyber Community Challenge hashtag. Connect with whoever posted, like William Welch will later today and connect with all of the people in the comments. Comment yourself so people connect with you. Grow your network of like-minded cybersecurity professionals. I connected with a few new people myself just yesterday. Very grateful for the opportunity. Simply Cyber um, Community Challenge Team Replay, Subro Sengupta was tagged yesterday. Subro tagged Harish Kumar. So Harish Kumar, giddy up on that. And I, it looks like Harish isn't online right now, but Harish Kumar, you're tagged. Let's keep the Team Replay Challenge going. If you are Team Replay, if you're watching this on Replay right now and you want to play, go to the Discord server, link in the show description. Go to the Simply Cyber Community Challenge channel under the Simply Cyber category. Drop your name in there that you want to play uh, part of the Simply Cyber Community Challenge Team Hybrid Team uh, re Replay, and let's do it. All right. Carrie, listen up. Carrie. All right, guys, Grayson's joke of the day. Every Friday, my son Grayson delivers a hot joke that we all enjoy. Today's joke, what do you call a dog magician? What do you call a dog magician? 
A Labra Cadabra door. A Labra Cadabra door. Thank you so much, Grayson, for the joke of the week. I genuinely appreciate that, guys. Let's slide back into the news. I'll see you at the jaw jack. New critical flaw in 40 OS and 40 proxy could give hackers remote access. Fortinet has released fixes to address 15 security flaws, including one critical vulnerability impacting 40 OS and 40 proxy that could enable a threat actor to take control of affected systems. The issue, tracked as CVE 2023-25610, is rated 9.3 out of 10 for severity and was internally discovered and reported by its security teams. Known as underflow bugs or buffer underruns, they occur when the input data is shorter than the reserved space, causing unpredictable behavior or leakage of sensitive data from memory. Fortinet said it is not aware of any malicious exploitation attempts against the flaw, but urges users to move quickly to apply the patches. Okay, so this is pretty cool. A couple things I want to share here. One, if you're running 40 OS, if you're running 40 proxy, then you know about this. I mean, you don't know about this, but you know whether or not you're running it, okay? You're not going to have unmanaged infrastructure. By the way, uh, I'm not going to say shadow IT anymore. If you were on stream last night, Mike DiNapoli from Simulate came on. Uh, brilliant guy. And he, he said, don't call it shadow IT. Don't try to make it dark and mysterious and, and use terms that other people don't know. He's like, it's unmanaged infrastructure. And you know what? I agree with him. So um, if you're running Fortinet products, you very likely know about it, okay? It's very unlikely to have unmanaged infrastructure of Fortinet products. So if you're running them, um, go ahead and prioritize getting this fixed. Now, you don't need to like run out and like cancel your weekend plans because they are not reporting active exploitation of this bug right now. Just because you have a vulnerability, just because you have a weakness does not mean that you are actively being exploited. That's that's part of the calculation, right? Like if this thing was being actively exploited, it would go up from 9.3 to probably 10. Now, what I do love is that Fortinet discovered this internally, which means Fortinet has staff that does pen testing, security exploitation, reverse engineering on their own product. Hello. Like, thank you. Thank you, uh, security technology company for investing in your own product. Instead of letting bug bounty people or threat actors discover your bugs and make you aware of it, they are being proactive. This is like such a great look for Fortinet. Um, you know, I didn't have an opinion one way or the other on Fortinet, but this moves my needle uh, for me. Like, I, I will now think of Fortinet in a positive light. I love that they're doing internal research. Uh, I also want to point out a buffer underwrite, um, which is different than a buffer overflow. Um, this one's called buffer underflow. Uh, you don't see this one very often. Basically, they're saying that um, usually a buffer overflow is like you've reserved, say, like, you know, 16 bytes of memory for an input field and you write 50 bytes to memory. So you overflow the, the buffer. Literally, that's why it's called the buffer overflow. Okay. <laughs> like it just dawned on me. I'm like, Ugh. okay. So you overwrite it and then you can, you know, basically control like the stack and you get into registers and computer architecture. It doesn't matter. You overwrite it. In this case, they're saying uh, like the, the field needs like 16 bytes and somehow you're able to write like eight bytes which means you're not using all that and then that extra eight bytes in there you're able to manipulate or do something like that i'm not an expert on buffer underwrites but i want to point out um i've heard 
people in our industry professionals say like, oh, buffer overflow, like, yes, it's the first thing you learn that's like lead hack source stuff when you're ready to upgrade from like script kitty to like really understanding how to exploit software. But I've heard people in the industry say, oh, it's not really practical. You don't really do it as a hacker or a pen tester or whatever. That's fine. But these bugs do exist. Underflows, overflows, okay? Stack overflows, heap overflows. These type of bugs, they're still being discovered in 2023. So don't dismiss them as an academic exercise from a bygone era of yesteryear, uh, back when, you know, back when code was code and, and you know, you know, it was all that. No, like these things are found even today. So good on Fortinet uh, for disclosing this. And if you're running Fortinet products, patch your systems, okay? Recently discovered ICE Fire ransomware now also targets Linux systems. Sentinel Labs researchers have discovered new Linux versions of the recently discovered ICE Fire ransomware that was employed in attacks against several media and entertainment organizations worldwide. The ransomware initially targeted only Windows-based systems and was first detected in March 2022 by researchers from the Malware Hunter team. But the group has mentioned victims via its dark web leak site since August of 2022. Most of ICE Fire infections have been reported in Turkey, Iran, Pakistan and the United Arab Emirates, countries not typically a focus for organized ransomware operations. Okay. WhatsApp would rather be blocked in the UK. All right, um, couple things here. One, all right, one, it's called ice fire. Just a reminder, um, typically you could see here like ransomware gangs, ransomware variants, they typically get their name from the file extension that is appended to the, the encrypted files. Okay, so in this instance, it's i dot, or it's uh, i fire, right? So gobbledygook.ifire, gobbledygook.ifire, right? So this is typically how, in case you're wondering, like, where do they come up with these names? Second of all, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, so, you know, whatever, shout out, hat tip, like, thumbs up. <laughs> if this is related to Ice and Fire, which is the story arc of um, what the Game of Thrones uh, main storybooks are about, um, fire and ice, whatever you want to say. So this, this, there's two things interesting here. One, the malware was focused on Windows only, which is super, super common. Now it's been converted to work on Linux as well. So I don't know if they're using like, you know, whatever, some kind of interoperable language, the dream that was what Java was. I don't know if Rust and Go uh, are cross, cross uh, architecture. Let me know in chat. I think Go is. I think Go can be compiled to run on Linux or, or, uh, or Windows or what, you know, whatever. Um, so let, let me know, but basically if that is the case, which I believe it is, I would suspect that the, this ransomware is written in that language, which would allow it to be, uh, ported over, ported over is the term to use, uh, onto a Linux, uh, tech stack. Now you shouldn't be surprised. Linux ransomware, do, uh, Linux malware exists. Okay. People who think Linux doesn't, malware doesn't exist are wrong. Just like Mac OS has malware. Okay. What you need to know is, A, this is targeting Middle Eastern countries, Turkey, UAE, um, where else did they say? Pakistan, Iran, okay? So this could be nation state level geopolitical threat because uh, Pakistan and Iran, I believe, are um, adversaries to uh, certain countries. Um, I know, oh my God, 
like diplomatic relations just broke down between Iran and another country, and I can't remember. Excuse me. Iran diplomatic relations uh, issues. Is it Saudi Arabia? Whatever. Iran broke down with somebody recently. I can't remember who. But any, anyways, the point is, um, if you are operating in those countries, if you have infrastructure you're responsible for in those qu countries, you should really uh, put this on your radar and be mindful of it. Also, guys, thanks for the upgrade, Bill Green. Um, you shouldn't, this this should not be the catalyst to, to have you take ransomware seriously. Like, you should already have been like preparing for ransomware attacks, walking through tabletop exercises. This is what it looks like. This is how we would respond. You should have some type of contingency plan. Cyber resiliency, right guys? Cybersecurity is spelt cyber resiliency. So just you have an uptick in potential activity, the likelihood increases in the risk calculation, but just be mindful um, of this if you're operating in these areas. If you're like me, operating in the United States, everything that I'm responsible for is in the United States. Well then, you know, this story is interesting and I keep it on my radar, but I'm not changing what I'm doing today. ...and weaken security. The head of WhatsApp, Will Cathcart, said it would refuse to comply if asked to weaken the privacy of encrypted messages under the country's online safety bill. The app Signal had previously said it would stop providing services in the UK if the bill required it to scan messages, but the government said it is possible to have both privacy and child safety. WhatsApp is the most popular messaging platform in the UK, used by more than 7 in 10 adults who are online, according to communication regulator Ofcom. DC Healthcare... Alright, well... You know, good... Good. Um, God, like... This is a tough conversation, guys, right? Like, this is a... Basically, Signal said, we're not gonna do anything uh, like we'd rather not be in your market a thousand percent than uh, compromise privacy, which I'm all on because Signal as a messaging app, I feel like has been consistently righteous and privacy is paramount and that's why it exists, right? WhatsApp is from Meta. Um, they're known to sell your data. Like I feel like all of the, all of the good graces that you'd want to associate with this story to WhatsApp, um, they, they've like, pooped in the kitty litter box too many times um, where to me, I look at this and I question why, like is WhatsApp being holier than thou with their righteous decision to, Hey, we're privacy is important to us. And we're not going to, we're not going to weaken our security because of it. Or is it because um, the UK has such GDPR compliance regulations that, you know, it would cost more money if they were to reduce it and expose what they're actually doing with the information. So I hate to be so cynical and I, I apologize because this is a philosophical perspective. But when I look at this, I, like I don't, I believe that there's uh, something more financially related cash, to what WhatsApp decision is not associated with individual privacy rights. Okay. Now I want to point out, they have a segment in here on CSAM which is deplorable. I, it, it deplorable. Okay. Um, which like the worst. Okay. And I understand that a subset of really sick individuals are using these technologies to communicate CCM to each other, which is just horrible. Okay. But I, I don't know how you solve for 
detecting CSAM and not exposing everybody else who are like, you know, want privacy, individual privacy, right? So it's always the argument that's made. Obviously, San Bernardino mass shooter had his iPhone. The FBI wanted to put in a back door to all iPhones and Apple pushed back on that. So this is privacy. Privacy is a really tricky um, topic. But WhatsApp, it said seven in 10 adults use WhatsApp regularly in the UK. Uh, anyone out there in the UK, holler if you use WhatsApp and you know, I, I don't use WhatsApp. Um, but this is this is a real thing. So just know, here, here's my thing though, guys, like WhatsApp, Signal, Telegram, th like there's multiple um, options for messaging apps and they all kind of work the same way. They all can do group chat. They all can do animated GIFs, GIFs. They can all do these things, right? So like if WhatsApp were to be nerfed and, and banned or blocked in the in the UK or they pull out because they refuse to comply with UK regulation, that's 70% of individuals, that 70% of individuals would just migrate to another platform. It's not like they're going to like riot in the streets like we want our what's oh, hold on, like, uh, I didn't cut the sound clip down yet, but. Right. Like I, that's the JG Wentworth. I'm still working on getting that in there. But like, you know, people aren't going to ride in the streets and be like, I, you know, it's my WhatsApp and I want it now. No, they're just going to move to Signal or Telegram or whatever. OK, so we'll see where this story goes. Stay tuned. Um, what's up, Russell Brinson? Good to see you. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, all right, let's keep going. I've got some jaw jacking stuff. We might do a Friday uh, Renegade live stream, Simply Cyber Office Hours later today. So stay tuned for the jaw jacking. Exchange breach leaked sensitive data of Congress members. The breached data includes sensitive information of Congress members and staff who were enrollees in the DC HealthLink website. On Monday, a purported hacker on the forum breached said they obtained a database and claimed it included names, ID numbers, policy IDs, social security numbers, plan names, employers, addresses, and much more. The hacker asked for payment in Monero, and by Wednesday, the post was updated to say the database had been sold. Remember to... All right. Monero, huh? I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Charles Finfrock. Inside joke, Charles Finfrock loves himself some crypto. Uh, so we always play that sound effect. He's a friend of the Simply Cyber community. All right, guys. Uh, major data set, healthcare information, very protected. Um, I didn't hear anything about HIPAA violations, OCR getting involved, the Office of Civil Rights for Health and Human Services. To me, this would clearly qualify as a HIPAA data breach. Uh, if it's over 500 records, that's when you have to report to HHS. So stay tuned for that. Uh, there is a uh, wall of shame. It makes you wonder if um, you know some power player in DC is going to be like, this isn't the breach you were looking for. These these aren't the droids you're looking for. Okay, we'll see what's up. But like, obviously, very sensitive information. You know, BSEC's um, you know annual. Um, uh, oh God, like prostate exam. <laughs> like like these. Everybody's sensitive information uh, is protected in private. So just because it's Congress members doesn't make it more special. But I do want to point out people who hold public positions, positions of power, 
um, you know, they're sensitive information. Maybe they're having health, mental health issues. Maybe they're having personal health issues. Maybe, you know, like if someone's running for president of the United States and it comes out that they have terminal cancer, well, maybe people are less inclined to vote for them because they're like, well, we don't want to put them in office or her in office because they won't make it through the, the term. Or, you know, maybe someone comes out that they had uh, an abortion, right? Uh, and that comes out and it's very salacious because they're, um, they're married and they, you know, like they're and their, their spouse or their partner is uh, incapable of impregnating. And, and you know what I mean? Like th there's all sorts of like spider webs that can spiral out of this thing. It's not just that I had a, a, a health checkup on December 1st and like, you know what I mean? So this information is really sensitive. 170,000 people. Um, we're talking ID numbers, social security numbers, plan names, employers, addresses, much more. It doesn't say diagnosis or anything like that. So I, maybe I was being a little overreaching with what I just said, as far as the impact statement. Um, it doesn't say, it doesn't say how the data set was compromised. Uh, it does advise to freeze your credit, which I would recommend you do anyways. Um, Yeah, it doesn't say, I mean, they mentioned HHS, but it doesn't say that they're going to have to report it as a breach. It doesn't say how the threat actors got involved. It doesn't say that the um, the, the threat actor or the uh, the attack path has been shored up. Um, so anyways, whatever. This is a very vague story, but at least we know like what the data was and that it got leaked. And we probably only, honestly, we only know about this because... Um, it was leaked publicly, right? I feel like this is one of those things that would not make it to the light of day had the threat actor not published it publicly. All right. Looks like, where are we? 851, sorry to NCC group and uh, base case for running over, but you know how we do. This is, this is how we do. All right, guys. What a solid week. Hopefully everybody did good. We saw Drian got his job. I know, like, uh, you know, I DM with a lot of people. I know for a fact that there's another community member who's going to be sharing some wonderful news about a new role. Uh, I won't spoil it for that individual, but I'm excited about continuing to hear more and more wins for members of the Simply Cyber community. Just crushing it, guys. You're all doing wonderful work. We're all supporting each other. And it's just freaking awesome to see it come come together uh, and cross the finish line. And I'll tell you what, Drian, congratulations on the job. But guy, the the you know the work the work starts now, buddy. Like you know that grind of getting in, like you're just been trained on how to grind because like the work in our industry demands constant um, commitment, learning, vigilance. Um, it's all about good times. Guys, if you were here just for the news, I bid you farewell. 161 of you today. Good work. Make sure to go on LinkedIn and check for that Simply Cyber Community Challenge hashtag and connect with everybody in the comments. Now, if you're here for some jawjacking, let's do that. Um, jawjacking is basically where we just hang out. I do AMA and uh, we talk a little bit. Now, guys, uh, looking at my calendar, um, I, I've been a little reluctant to commit uh, to a Friday stream, but looking at my calendar, I feel like we might be able to do a 4.30, a 4.30 live stream today. Simply Cyber office hours. We'll talk about Simply CyberCon. It's not AMSR. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, BSEC. We're not doing ASMR. All right. 
Um, I think we're going to do a Friday. Like, um, hit subscribe to the channel or whatever, or or the Simply Cyber LinkedIn account. Um, if I do schedule the office hours, which I believe um, everything is lining up to be able to do that today at 4.30, um, we'll be able to do that. And uh, I've, I'm really excited about the Simply CyberCon. I've been thinking a lot about it and how we can make it happen. Finish the GRC analyst class, Sean Washington. That would be fantastic. Keep crushing it. Hey, Harish. Hey, Harish. Yeah, buddy. You know you got tagged and uh, Team Replay, buddy. So you got the Simply Cyber Community Challenge Team Replay baton. Good luck with that. You've done a lot, Kerry. Big change. Yeah, Kerry's been crushing it. Kerry's been getting sorted up. He's doing what he's doing. Let's see. Emilio Garcia, my friend. Good to see you. Somebody asked earlier, why wouldn't you uh, enable MFA? It's literally just the business wanting convenience, right? Like sometimes a, uh, MFA can be a pain in the butt, right? If you've ever felt the pain yourself as an individual, you're like, oh my God. But at the same time, you're like, got to eat my own dog food. I don't really like that metaphor, but it's one that people use. You got to you gotta live it yourself and experience it yourself, guys. Every time you introduce security controls, you're introducing friction. A lot, a lot of times you're introducing friction. Like federated authentication is probably the only example of a security win where you're not introducing friction. So you've got to feel that burden yourself to appreciate what you're asking your end users to go through. Because uh, sometimes, you know, maybe you do make exceptions for certain things. Maybe it doesn't make sense to put them through certain controls right for for the return on investment or the return on risk uh, re reduction nice job russell brinson Lo love that not enabling fa will make everything inconvenient yes it will haven't been able to use the certification yet okay no problem carrie just keep grinding drink your own champagne <laughs> i can use that one do you think it's smart to learn machine learning along with cloud engineering jojo asks uh machine learning data science i i don't Data science to me is really cool. It'll help you doing metrics if you get into the GRC space. Um, but I don't think you need to understand machine learning or AI to be effective at cyber. Cloud engineering, um, that could be very valuable. Understanding cloud and not just how cloud works, but like getting specialized in one of the platforms. Azure's got a huge footprint right now. Microsoft offers a lot of free training on being good at Azure. Same with uh, Amazon and AWS. Uh, I would personally, if I was starting over, I would do a lot of the, the fundamental stuff, but then I would also, if I wanted to go cloud, I would look at all the Azure stuff. I would build a learning path plan going through the Azure stuff. I would get the AZ 500, I think it is, certification, which is the Azure Security Engineer certification. And uh, that would be my plan. All right. Not all encrypted comms are created equal. Just ask the NSA. That's right, Aaron Lancaster. Thank you for pointing that out. Going back to the SOC. Thanks for the brief. You got it, Just Incredible. Depends on the path you want to take. Cloud's always good. That's right. Yeah, but don't don't sleep on fundamentals, guys. Right? Yeah, AZ900. See, the, the weird thing is the 900 is like the intro and the 500 is the like the professional. Like they kind of, the numbers don't indicate like the scale. DP dropping... Gifted subs. Thanks, DP. Welcome to the, the squad. Keegan, Kayla, Justin, Clarity. Use those cloud uh, cloud emotes. Use those uh, squad emotes right there. Get some hacker, man. Definitely appreciate you um, dropping those gifted subs so much. MS has a sequin for Azure. Yeah, exactly. Eternal Stranger. Love it. 
How closely knit are differ in GRC? Oh, not really. Uh, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of overlap in that. Like GRC, I mean, like literally, like differ is like. I mean, it depends. Like I I don't personally I don't like the term differ. Okay, because digital forensics is part of incident response, but incident response is much more active, much more engaged. Engaged. You're interacting with the business. Digital forensics, a lot of times, is like focused heads down work. Um, you know, trying to analyze uh, what's going on, reporting out what's going on, and all these things. Um, and I know people can do both functions, but for me personally, I think of digital forensics as like a siloed person working on something and then getting an outcome of, of it and then delivering it. So it's like a very, it's like solving a puzzle or something like that. Whereas incident response is active, a lot of energy, a uh, lot of touching, a lot of communication. The business wants to know what's up. Anyways, so from a GRC and different perspective, G you know what? Here's the easiest way to identify and understand why GRC and differ are wildly different. When we think of bad things happen in the industry, we call that boom, boom, like boom, like get your John Strand emotes because that is definitely boom. Okay, so boom. In the um, one second, I'm pulling up the NIST cybersecurity framework. You're gonna look at this. Um, um, open image and new tab. Okay, so look at this. This is the NIST cybersecurity framework, okay? And then I gotta run. I think I got a meeting at nine. Hold on one sec. Let me check if I got a meeting at nine. Yeah, I love NIST too. Let me look at my calendar really quickly. Yeah, I've got a meeting. Okay. Um, basically, really quickly, uh, the two things identify and protect are more GRC. This is left of boom. This is before bad things happen. You can do everything that you want before bad things happen and protect and be prepared. Detect, respond, recover is right of boom. This is like, holy crap, things are on fire. Let's get going. GRC lives in the identify and protect space. Differ lives in the yellow, red, green space. They do have some overlap. Obviously, GRC helps prep uh, differ to be able to do the things that they need to and differ needs to help inform um, to the GRC on gaps, weaknesses, tabletop exercises and all that. But for the most part, it's a Venn diagram with GRC living left of boom and SecOps differ living right of boom. I got to go, guys. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you have a wonderful day. Stay tuned if I if I do schedule the 430 stream uh, for the Simply Cyber Office Hours. My name's Jerry. You guys have been wonderful. Have a great weekend. And until next time, stay secure.